Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Hey, Intimates. I have a content warning for you today. We're going to be talking about depression and suicide and all that fun stuff. Um, And my guest today is also going to be a depressive like myself. So, depression is a serious mental illness that affects most of us at some point in our lives through either our friends or loved ones, or possibly personally, as it does for me and many other folks. Lots of folks have some experience during their teen years, but have you ever wondered what it would be like if that depths of the ocean kraken, that uh, colossal squid of depression, just never went away? Like if there was this ongoing lingering threat that you could slip back into it at any moment? That's essentially what my experience of depression has been like. It's been an ongoing cyclic struggle with depression that's worse in the winter and then a little easier to manage when I'm out in the sun. I cope with therapy. um, That's like talk therapy, so usually cognitive behavioral therapy, but also UV light treatments, medications, um, a whole host of strategies implemented from therapy, so ways of cleaning up my internal monologue so that I say fewer shoulds and have tos and say more coulds and get tos, that kind of stuff. Currently, my depression is peeking through um, all of those strategies and all of those treatments because it's January, and other friends on medication have suggested I increase my dose in winter, which I think I will do next year because it's a great idea. So today, I'm going to be interviewing and chatting with one of my older friends, which is to say one of my longer slash longest friends, Wicked, on the show. Her experience of depression isn't that different from mine, but I'll let you, I'll let her tell you about that herself. I do have a Bachelor of Arts degree if you okay. care about education stuff. Sure. I don't care. Like, whatever. Whatever you feel like might be relevant to your audience. I've actually never mm. listened to one of your podcasts before. And That's not, fair. No, like, that's totally reasonable. Like, just because I very rarely actually ever listen to podcasts at all. Nobody so. expects that you've heard their podcast when you go to record on their podcast. Okay, good. Although apparently I have the... So in podcasting, there are some like OGs of podcasting that were yeah. doing it like before it was called podcasting. Before it was cool. Like 12 years ago yeah. were podcasting. Like before I was in the kink scene when I was a bebe, they were they were podcasting and no one even knew what podcasting was then. Yeah. And one of those OG podcasts um, is made by a group called Escape Artists and they're called Escape um, well, for example, the science fiction one is Escape Pod, <clears throat> and then they have various other ones that that happen, which is which is great. 
Um, anyways, they're all really, really rad people, um, at least from what I can tell. Like, one of them has, like, a degree in, like, data science. And, like, <coughs> they're just, like, super <coughs> experienced, knowledgeable podcasters that I, like, think are really rad. Yeah. Um, and I joined their Patreon to support them and was like, hey, I noticed Alistair, who's one of their British podcasters, said something about, like, if you have a podcast, even if the reach isn't super huge. And, like, mine's only, like, 70 people. Yeah. Um, but, like... If, if Alistair wants to come on and talk about, like, the intimacy of being a podcaster and how mm. you simultaneously have, like, a one-way voice in the conversation, but also you're revealing really vulnerable things about yourself, yeah. I would love to interview him for my intimacy podcast. Yeah. And it was like, well... So it turns out all the hosts want to just come on and do a panel. And I was like, I don't know that I can handle that. <laughs> No, that's awesome though. Like totally. How do you, I, how do you do that remotely? You just um, so they each would be recording on their side, and then we I would I would composite it all together. Wow, that's a lot of work. But... It is. It is. <laughs> um, and you have to balance levels and put. But I mean, once you learn how to like use compressors and like you, you just you just learn all the things, and then yeah. you do a really unprofessional job of it because <laughs> like you don't have training in how to do that. So you just make it work, and you listen to it, and you're like, oh, this is listenable. My audience <laughs> will not. It together <clears throat> it's like packing the suitcase you just like keep sitting on it and trying to zip until it zips and then you're just like thank, this is fine. <laughs> thank god i didn't like snag my my ball sack in the zipper <laughs> like you're just so happy that it, it worked and you didn't get horrifically injured and you're like cool i made a thing now i'm gonna huck this bag out the window <laughs> and hopefully it lands on that conveyor belt that takes it to a plane <laughs> Like that is basically that is like, like a very like uh, detailed metaphor. I appreciate that. It is very detailed. It okay. is the experience of being a podcaster when you're new. You're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I think this will work. Okay, I can listen to this. Hopefully people won't be mad at how irritating this is to listen to. No, but that's super cool. I remastered some of my earlier episodes, which is just like unnecessary and above and beyond. Because when you think about it, the quality of the writing of like helping mm. make it not meandering like this intro is... <laughs> um is is so much better presumably in my later episodes yeah. that like the sound quality scales with like the writing quality right. only now the writing quality is hopefully better i don't know i don't know i have nothing <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying anything meaningful right now okay um cool so in terms of introductions let's just start then okay <laughs> So I would like to welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I have with me um, a longtime friend from the kink scene, um, my friend Wicked. Hi, Wicked. Welcome. Hello. Um, Wicked works in the medical field, is located in the north of BC, um, and is a human that would you identify as neuroatypical or neurodivergent? Oh, neurodivergent. It's probably the less stigmatizing way to say that. Yeah, in a, yeah, a mood-related sort of way, which I think <laughs> is what we're talking about today, isn't it, Victor? <laughs> yes, definitely. We're talking about depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. In fact, mm. the title of today's episode is World Class Success or Utter Failure. <laughs> How do you feel about that title? <laughs> I just... Um... I, I feel like it, it's just so relatable because World Class Success, it's like... Being a perfectionist, constantly pursuing um, a standard of excellence that's completely unreasonable. Right. And not achieving that. It's like, well, that's just it. Then I'm just an utter failure. Everything is garbage. When, <laughs> when really that's not actually true at all. And right. when you can step back and look at that situation, you're like, huh, 
wicked that was super unreasonable like maybe maybe be a little easier on yourself but in that moment you're like well just throw it all out the window like that's might as well light it on fire right now (laughs) exactly exactly because everything is garbage yep so anyway (laughs) totally totally resonate with that um Mm. my first question is hilarious because the way that i wrote this was like last night i just like <laughs> was so tired and i just like pounded away the keyboard and was like cool three episodes done all right and now i'm gonna go to sleep and then my partner came over and i did not sleep and now i'm like oh my goodness i'm so tired scandalous it was very scandalous <laughs> it was nasty oh my in the best possible I was way i gonna say i'm jealous whatever <laughs> yeah i'm gonna try not to share any details <laughs> Because I definitely want to scream about the details right now and be like, oh my god, it was so good, I did all the things. They were really, really dirty. Maybe later. Maybe later when the mics are off. Maybe later. Uh, And I'm like so in love with this person. That's cute. Yeah, we're we're like nauseatingly in love with each other. I think so gross. It is. I think. think Is this the person I met? Yes, it is. On the weekend. Yeah. All the kissing, all the animal sounds, all the cuddling. It's just like, <laughs> I like to see for us, that is normal to say. <laughs> I feel like, like mainstream folks, are supposed to be like animal sounds. Like, I mean, what is, whatever, what whatever he, floats your boat. What are they talking about? I've yeah. growled at people before. It's not going to lie. It's mm-hmm, happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely purred at people and made adorable sounds mm-hmm. and flopped around on my back. Yeah. And it's just like the best. It's so cute. Don't knock it till you've tried it, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're already off topic. We haven't even asked the first question yet. That's okay. That's okay. I think, like, candor is not not the end of the world. It's, no. it's okay to just, like, chat as we are. But yeah. I guess we are, like, a few minutes in. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, the first question was, do you identify as a person with depression? Which, obviously, is, like, a yup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I am curious about what your experiences and symptoms of depression have been. If you want to talk about, like, sure. what those words... And you can talk about anxiety as well. Like, what those words mean to you. And, like, yeah. what it was like as a teenager. And then how that, like, evolved and changed. Yeah. Over time. Part of what was, I think, really difficult and actually like figuring out that I was depressed is that I didn't have typical symptoms. I was like, well, I'm still able to get out of bed and I still go to work and I still go to school. Mm-hmm. I just want to die all the time and hate my whole life. But like, that's normal, right? When you're a teenager. See, I'm um, like, that is, no- <laughs> that's how my experience was. Like, right? Is but, this not normal? No, but apparently, you know, there's that super like, you know, no motivation, no passions, you know, like everything's kind of flat. And mine was just like all the feelings all the time, but most of them are really negative. Right. Right. Like I didn't get that, like, um, no energy kind of thing. I was always Mm. able to get out of bed. I was able to go to school. I was able to go to work. Um, I I, I struggled more with those things. I would typically, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you and interjecting like my story, but I'm like, (laughs) I just, I'm so excited to share. We have such similar experiences. Um, for me, like it was hard to get out of bed, but it was never like I was bedridden the whole day. Like Mm. I didn't have like such an intense somatic experience of depression that Mm -hmm. I couldn't like move. Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of people do have that psychomotor retardation, which is a long scientific word for those of us, um, that don't have a university education, which is (laughs) legit. No shame there whatsoever. Um, but basically, Capitalism. <laughs> exactly. And classism, yeah. um, it basically means you move really slowly, even though you're not trying to move really slowly. 
Yeah. Did the cat scare you? Yeah, the cat scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Just <laughs> right now. It's all good. <laughs> I'm currently fostering this adorable black and white tuxedo evoker cat. And he is the sweetest. He's very cute. He flops around. He lets you rub his belly. Yeah. And he plays fetch. I'll have to show you. He plays fetch later. Oh, perfect. Well, I mean, all the time. But right now we're recording a podcast, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The cat is like, I will just eat food. I'm like, wow, cat, you really are channeling my depressive feelings when yes. you aren't playing fetch. You oh, just eat. I totally, yeah, would overeat like binge eat and then of course being socialized and raised as a woman it would be like binge eating and then purging so i had like a nice layer of like bulimia on top of depression but it was like directly linked definitely like it's like yes it was an eating disorder but it was more symptom of depression in my case specifically um but that was like you know i kind of start remembering i guess feeling the sads when I was like 12, 13. Um, it was like kind of like midway through puberty, I guess. I was severely depressed as a child. The first yeah. time I very seriously contemplated suicide and like walked on a roof and was like, this isn't high enough to kill me. Why do Ooh. people say you should jump off a roof? This is just dumb. This is only two stories. Like, yeah, like this is, this is, I'm too light. Like, <clears throat> this is just gonna like be painful. Yeah, yikes. Yeah, um, and then the neighbors started screaming at me to get off the roof. Like, that kind of situation, I was seven. Oh, my God. That's a lot. I was pretty intensely depressed as a child. Yeah. So hitting puberty, everyone was talking about depression, and I was like, what? Like, this is just life, people. Like, what is... Because I had no perspective on what it was like not to be depressed. Yeah, yeah. I I used to talk about having a runaway kit when I was a kid, um, which was, looking back, both tragic and a little adorable. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to... I literally call... You have to laugh about it. I literally had a... I used to call it a runaway kit. It had rice cakes. And I planned to subsist (laughs) off of chives that I picked um, (laughs) because there was the only kind of food I knew how to get outside of what my parents put in a plate for me because I was like seven. Yeah. Um, And my parents used to laugh at me for it. They thought it was adorable. Yeah. Well, I once told... Like, I remember having a conversation with my mother where I like told her about my suicidal ideation and like all this horrible shit that's like red flag red flag red flag she's like well you know like that's just a teenager thing like all teenagers go through that and i'm like looking back i'm like all teenagers do not go through that <laughs> like, like and more importantly <laughs> even if they do and your teenager says hey i'm having a lot of suicidal thoughts some teenagers do kill themselves so, so maybe 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 look into it and she's like like she's very sweet she's just a little bit ignorant got you and she's does her best to educate herself like like she actually does for a boomer she does very very well (laughs) but there are some moments from my childhood that i'm like jesus christ (laughs) like holy smokes why did why did we have that conversation why did anyone think that was okay totally so yeah um but i guess like it it kind of manifested in cycles for me like if we talk about the diastasis stress model, which if people aren't familiar with that, it's like there's a genetic component to having a mood disorder, mood issue, and then a life stressor that will kind of propagate that genetic mm-hmm. component. Um, <clears throat> so it's kind of two factors that go into an expression of a mood disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I definitely have, like, depression runs in my family. I have a bipolar uncle, which is, I guess, a huge genetic contributing factor that no one actually quite understands. Mm. Like, especially on the paternal side, if you have, like, a paternal uncle, like, who has, who's bipolar, like, the likelihood of you having depression increases significantly, which I find very fascinating because no one understands why. Oh, my God. It's there's, just, like, yeah, there's, there's so many... Thing. 
there's so many co-relationships <clears throat> and like things that can happen. Yeah. Um, there's so, and there are also totally reductive metrics that mm. are upsettingly predictive. Mm-hmm. It's like they're so reductive and they're they're not granular at all. Like a perfect example would be the um, let me just turn my phone to mute. Um, a perfect example is like the adverse childhood experiences. Oh God, I know. Um, register because it's literally like here are ten situations. And if you meet the criteria for having even one of these experiences just once, it doesn't matter how frequently it happens. If you meet the criteria, it's like this is so non-granular. It doesn't take into account um, the inability for a child to regulate again. So it's like if you have trauma as a child, if you have support, you're golden. Yeah. Right? Like so much of like, in my opinion, some of the most successful people had like just one instance of trauma as a child and then had lots of loving support around it. Yeah. And you're just like, fuck off. (laughs) Exactly. All the loving support, all the like guiding um, in terms of how to cope with trauma, in terms Mm -hmm. of like how do you emotionally regulate, what does healthy emotional processing look like? They get all that and they get it through this lens of like, I have to learn to do this because it feels like I'm dying because I'm traumatized. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, trauma isn't that bad. In fact, it makes you a stronger person. And then they say all this bullshit and all these other people who are traumatized that do not have all of that guidance are just like, oh, so sour. I think it's so important if uh, neurodivergent people or people who have trauma or mood disorder is that like, like I can relate to you because we've both had the SADs and both deal with that on a regular basis. But I still respect that like your experience with it is so unique and Mm. my experience Mm -hmm. with it is so unique. And that's why I really like the term grok. Yes. Like if I grok someone, it's like it's like I understand. Like I've had a similar experience. Like I I fall under this umbrella term, but I also respect that your experience is is individual and unique to you. Mm-hmm. And I will never fully understand what you're experiencing because I'm not you. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah. it's through the lens of my history of experience. Yeah. That's really hard to. That's really hard for a lot of people to grasp. Yeah. Or especially people who aren't neurotypical, who, like, make all these assumptions about what, like, a depressed person is and and what that all looks like. Um, But I was... We got on a tangent, which I love. I love a good tangent. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I was talking a little bit about diastasis stress model and kind right, of right. My, my experiences. Sorry, what's it called again? Diastasis... Diastasis stress, stress model. model. Um, so, like, a genetic component and a life stressor. So, okay. kind of... My first major life stressor, I'd say I was 14. Um, it suffered a huge loss. I don't need to go into the details about what happened. Sure. But, like, that was kind of the first time I kind of had a huge depressive episode. Like, I had been depressed right. before that. Right. But this was my first, like, like, I am fucking spiraling downwards. And I don't understand what that is or what that means. And, you know, working through that as a 14-year-old, like who has no concept of emotional intelligence at all. Oh, fuck. Is that ever tragic? <laughs> Thinking back about emotional intelligence, oh, it's like if I knew just 10% of what I knew today. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No worries. But it's like I would go through that cycle and then kind of drag myself out of it and then be like, oh, well, like, I'm good now. Like, I don't need help. I'm fine now. And then I'd have another stressful and, like, boom, hit the, you know, sub-zero ground again and then drag myself out of it. And I think I did this, like, half a dozen times. And it was actually, like, one of my last serious, quote-unquote, relationships ended. And I, like, mm. tanked again. And I was – how old was I? It would have been 2015, 2016-ish. So 25, 26. And, um, literally the cat is trying to bury bury his food by 
digging at a newspaper. Yeah, it's not not very effective, Sebastian. I think what's funniest about that is when he fails to bury his food, he's like, well, I might as well eat more of it. And then he just goes back to <laughs> so eating. So relatable. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying. No worries. The relationship it, ended. Yeah, and that was like another tank. And that was kind of the moment that I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like, I keep thinking I have like a handle on this cycle. I clearly do not have a handle on this cycle. So yeah. as much as like shitty as that relationship was and and that it ended and all this stuff, it actually turned out to be like a really good thing. Cause that was when I finally walked into a walk-in clinic and was like, somebody right. fucking help me. Like I right. am drowning here, you know? Um, and then, and then I had a whole experience with attempting to find the correct amount and correct dose of medication, which is like another, Oof, that's yeah. another whole thing. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. So depression, how, how has it changed over the years when you first sort of, mm-hmm got the sads in in your in your teenage years to like when you started growing up you still you still had these like cyclic experiences with depression Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's just now like it's a beast that i recognize Mm. and again that comes with like self-awareness and emotional intelligence and and kind of you know experience with it i'm like oh this this again like i know what's up right i need to like hunker down and watch Netflix for a day and and eat some chocolate and then and I mean that's not what cures depression like don't don't get me wrong I'm not saying that that's gonna like make everything better but it's like oh hey this beast again we need to take care of the beast right just if I ignore it it'll get way worse right so turning around and addressing it like immediately and and knowing kind of having hints as to like when it's coming on versus Instead of like ignoring those little flags going off in your head mm-hmm. and then having a major meltdown, I can be like, oh, hey, oh, hey, there's some shit happening. Better deal with that now before I turn into like a puddle of person on the floor right. that can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like seeing the patterns and trying to cope, find a way to be more mm-hmm. functional. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I'm curious to start talking about how self-perceptions of success or failure play into um, one's experience of depression. Oh, man. So much. So much. I mean, we were saying a little earlier, like, I am very much a perfectionist. Um, I actually have a quote on my phone of something Victor said to me over the weekend, which was super, super relatable. And awesome. I the weather you... network instead of my... There we go. Um, but Victor actually said to me, he's like, you always do the coolest things at stupidly elite levels. It's true. <laughs> which is like... <laughs> Very true, and I I had to write that down because I was like, well, that's accurate. Um, <laughs> because I'm speaking under like my scene name, and as as a kingster, I'm a little hesitant to talk about my vanilla life. But I used to be a professional athlete. Yeah, I couldn't just be an athlete. No, I had to be a professional athlete with like Olympic goals and like all this crazy shit. And, and I mean, now that were, I'm in the medical na- field, you I'm were like a national athlete too. Like, yeah, you, did, you 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 were. I did some cool shit. You did cool shit. I did some cool shit. Uh, I didn't do nearly as much cool shit as I wanted to do, but that's, mm-hmm. of course, again, now I'm talking like a perfectionist. Weird. And, and now that I'm in the medical field, I'm like, well, this level of medical field is all right, but I better pursue like the topmost level of, right. of you know, this particular subsection that I'm involved in. I need right? to do these things yeah. and those things. And it's only cool if I do all this additional education to do like the most specialized thing th- <laughs> that is available to me. Yeah, obviously. Like, <laughs> so, What else would I do? Um, so part of it is like 
having an incredibly type A personality. Let's be real. Like, uh, I'm... You're competitive. I'm competitive, but, like, only against myself, really. I'm like, I can be better. I can do this better. You know, constantly trying to be better. I'm also a lifelong learner and kind of a nerd, so I'm like... I, part of the reason I picked the specific job is because I can keep learning and keep growing and keep doing cool stuff, but then also like only do a year or two of school and then go out and work for a while and then bounce back. I don't have to do another like four years of sitting in classroom time. Mm-hmm. Which is difficult. Yeah, exactly. So so that's kind of what I thought was cool about that. Um, but it does also like that totally feeds back into itself as being an overachiever and mm-hmm. and wanting to be wanting to be the best at everything which is impossible it is in (laughs) fact being the best at one thing is probably very near impossible yeah you literally have to become better than anyone else in your species and there's like literally billions of us i know it's hard (laughs) but but i still want to do it (laughs) and i don't think there's anything wrong with that drive like i don't think that drive's inherently unhealthy at all no um (laughs) But I am going to point at the CBT unhelpful thinking styles oh, image geez. that I brought up. The all or nothing thinking, yeah, exactly. So literally the very first unhelpful thinking style is all or nothing thinking. Thanks. Thanks for calling me out like this, Victor. Um, so I'll post this for listeners. But um, when you go and get CBT from a counselor, sometimes they'll give you um, this very rote, like, uh, I guess wrote's not the right word. They give you this like, it's almost kitschy because it's just like the image that every counselor will give you on like unhelpful thinking styles. Yeah. Because CBT, at least CBT counselors, um, cognitive behavioral therapy focused ones. I'm, I'm making the distinction from cock and ball torture. Because <laughs> every I, time I hear CBT. It's one or the other. You're like, hang on a second. I got to figure out which one this is. Which one are we talking about? Um, the other ones, just in case people are curious, are um, overgeneralizing. So instead of the black and white thinking of, you know, all or nothing, thinking I'm I'm perfect or I have failed at everything. This is more the like, everything is always trash. Nothing good ever happens. Like those types of overgeneralizing. Yeah. Then there's the mental filter, which is only paying attention to certain types of evidence. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm a national athlete. <laughs> I've completely, utterly failed at, um, at being an Olympic athlete. Yeah. Um, which kind of is along the lines of the next one, which is disqualifying the positive. So discounting all the good things. Oh, my God. That's that such happened. a huge thing. <laughs> there's also the um, jumping to conclusions. <laughs> Everybody hates me all the time. (laughs) Mind reading, fortune telling. Um, So fortune telling being like when you're predicting the future, like, wow, things are trash now, so they must be trash forever. Yeah. Or mind reading being, I know what others think about me and it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's like someone fails to say hi to you and they're walking past you in a hallway. And you can either be like, huh. I'm curious as to what's up with them in a very neutral, gentle curiosity kind of way. Or you can be like, I wonder why they're such a bitch. <laughs> God, what did I do? But then, then that's the other typical one. Other than being like, wow, that person's an asshole is being like, oh my God, that person's angry at me. I must have offended them. When they probably didn't even see you. They, like probably, they probably literally cool. didn't see you. Maybe they were late getting somewhere and they just were like looking at their phone because they were like, oh shit, like I'm going to miss this thing. Yeah. Or they were distracted on Facebook and just, like, awake and dreaming, casually, like, listing through the world with no direction, as many of us are. <laughs> um, speaking of that, the next one is magnification or catastrophization. 
Um, and I guess minimization is the same category. So it has to do with inappropriately blowing things up into catastrophes or minimizing them to make things seem inappropriately insignificant. So you either have to make things seem insignificant because you can't cope with the size they are, probably because you're so overwhelmed from the catastrophes that you have exploded from the situations they actually were. Then there's emotional reasoning, which is like, I feel embarrassed, so I must be an idiot. <laughs> that's the truth, though. Isn't that, isn't that just... It's definitely the truth. Just the like, truth. This like, is just what life like, is. What do you mean that's a weird, like, depression thing? <laughs> like, what kind of an idiot doesn't feel embarrassed and doesn't realize <laughs> they're, they're an idiot? They're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Um, there's critical words. So this is... So the reason this one's so useful is because of how well it helps you troubleshoot your internal monologue. So the mm. things you're thinking and saying to yourself, it can be really hard to police that. How do you recognize when you're being a total asshole to yourself? Like, it's really hard to recognize. But if you start picking out, like, oh, here are the triggers for what I probably sound like when I'm being an asshole. Like, maybe I'm saying, oh, I really should go to that instead of I really want to go to that. Mm. Because yeah. really what you're expressing is a conflicting desire. You're like, I want to go to that thing, but I don't want to do the work to go to that thing, which is a very human, reasonable thing to think. That's fine. Exactly. But, I... if, but if you're like, I should do that thing, there's like this, this inherent package of guilt that comes with it. Mm. It's almost like someone taught us to think like this. Weird. Weird. Who would do such a thing? But kind of along that, that line, I mean, it's a little bit off topic, but it's, um, I, I started thinking about like would I say this to someone else who is going through the same thing? Right. Like, would I actually say this to an outside other person? And the answer is always no. Right. Right? Like, I would never make these comments to someone else that I make towards myself. And that actually was, like, such a huge breakthrough in being, like, a lot gentler on myself. Mm. For sure. Like... But yeah, it took a while to get there. <laughs> it always does. It takes so long. Yeah. So the other um, other good trigger words to think of are like must, um, like 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 mm. they must think I'm mm. or um, <laughs> like this this has to happen or I have to do this thing rather than like I get to do this thing. So rather than be like I have to go pick up my partner at the airport, mm. being like I get to go pick up my partner at the airport. Right. It's, right. It's saying it's communicating almost the same thing with completely different emotional framing. You're um a bit more well versed than I am in like nonviolent communication, but mm. do you feel like this follows along the same vein as nonviolent communication it's, a little bit? That's that's really perceptive. I think a lot of it is being more responsible with how we place blame on ourselves mm. and trying to be clear about what we need from ourselves so there's definitely an nvc component like for example if you're calling yourself names and you're being like i'm such a loser um, <laughs> or being like i'm completely useless like why can't i do anything like like those types of of things are definitely not nonviolent communication mm -hmm. um if anyone else said them you'd be like this person's an abusive fuck <laughs> um oh wait that's me oh wait that's um, me to me to myself so it's fine, so it's, fine. It's, it's only abusive if you're doing it to someone else right um, so yeah, so it's in a sense, it's like breaking up with yourself, yeah, like choosing yeah. to be like, I'm breaking up with the abusive part of myself and oh, I'm geez. recognizing that cool. like I have been abusing myself for many years psychologically. Should we talk like, about trauma bonding and how it feels so good to like hate yourself sometimes? Oh, we will get <laughs> oh, there, friend. Baby. We will get there. <laughs> Isn't that why all people come together and have sex? Fuck, I know, right? Jesus. Um, <laughs>
Oh, that's a whole other can of worms. That is like a whole podcast. <laughs> that is a whole podcast. Um, uh. And then the last, the last trigger word, other than like should and must and have to, um, is ought. Like I like um, mm. it really ought to be a certain way or like I ought to, it just it just honestly this is like the Gen X way of saying things they use ought a lot more than well, annuals do. I don't think I've ever used I don't think I've ever used really used ought, but, <laughs> um, but I've I've known people that have said that. Mm. <clears throat> but the the TLDR is like using language that frames reality as a one true way or that there is absolutely mm-hmm. yes exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of absolutism. Um, and then the last unhelpful thing in style, other than the labeling I mentioned earlier, which is like, I'm completely useless. Why do oh, things yeah. never work out for me? Yeah. Um, that really fatalistic. It comes that one also trigger words for that would be like always and never mm-hmm. saying like things never go well or they always end terribly. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a good a good idea, a good red flag to be like, oh, I'm probably like gaslighting myself a little bit and like maybe narrowing my scope of reality to mm-hmm. only these things. It's funny how when other people gaslight you as a child, you eventually internalize it and do it to yourself. It's almost like it makes sense in this light. So weird. I honestly, I don't think I had that experience as a child. To Amazing. Be like looking back, but I have had that experience in relationships. So <laughs> it all works out in the wash eventually, right. doesn't like, it? As wow. an adult, almost exactly <laughs> as fucked. <laughs> Because on the one hand, you're like, it seems less devastating to have it as an adult. But on the other hand, using the princess and the pea scenario, I had a less traumatic childhood. So it was more impactful as an adult than it would be on someone who was traumatized as a child. So in the end, trauma is trauma. Exactly. But then there's also the experience of like, oh, I've never experienced that before as a child. Now I'm dealing with all of it right now and I don't recognize it. I don't know what's going on. Right. So well, it's I mean, like boomerang effect. Dealing situation. with it as a kid, you don't it's, recognize oh, yeah, very much either. Sure. You just expect that's normal. Like yeah. when people love you, this is just how they treat you all the time, Obviously, right? Obviously, right? That's yeah, fine. totally. Very normal. Very normal. So personalization <laughs> is taking responsibility for things that aren't your fault or mm. that couldn't possibly conceivably be your fault. Right. Um, so if something literally, I don't mean random in the sense of like, oh, that's so random. I mean, like if, if something happens in the world that has nothing to do with you like um i'm trying to think of a, of a good example mm. um i really should have thought of examples before i started i've been killing it so far and being like i've done enough therapy that i can just like sleepwalk through this and i'm like <laughs> wait personalization do i blame myself for stuff or do, am i like nah that person's just a dick well there's also like um if you have an example go for it i i'm i'm totally like going flying by the seat of my pants here sure but it's like say you have an argument with someone right and they go and get in a car accident later that day right right like even like, though those oh, two this things is totally are my fault yeah completely unrelated you could definitely be like oh my god it's because we had an art you know what i mean yeah. like you can just you definitely can totally fly off the handle that direction i think yeah. that there's like many smaller versions of that same thing that happen all the oh, time. Oh, you know, we already used a good example. The person walking past you looking at their phone. Oh, yeah, perfect. Personalization yeah. is taking yeah. that, which has to do with them, and making it about you, yeah. which it almost certainly <laughs> which doesn't it have any. definitely isn't. Like, right? And which it, is so narcissistic, too, in a way. Like, in a, in a all sense. all my fault. Well, you can kind of see where the seeds for narcissism are planted there. Yeah, that sure. It's typically, like, lots of trauma, lots of insecurity, mm-hmm. and then self-focus. Because, I mean, being in pain is an inherently selfish place because it needs to be. For sure. Like, I, I could agree with that. It's yeah. a survival mechanism. Like, yeah. if you're in a lot of pain, you have to figure out what is going on and help yourself. Mm-hmm. So it, I can totally see how that 
to like a catastrophized extent could lead to narcissistic like traits yeah but i don't know i'm just talking out of this out of my ass at this point i have no training in <laughs> aren't, this aren't we all doing that right now isn't yeah. that what the podcast is <laughs> Yes, thank you. Thank you for that roast. It is well-deserved. This is like all podcasting is like... No, there, no. There are experts, but let's be honest, especially for chat casts where people don't have the time or certainly not the funding to spend hours and hours editing their podcast down mm. to something honed and beautiful. Instead, they just talk at you incessantly and hope that you do the filtering for them. Kind of like this podcast. It's fine. It's cute, all cute. good. <laughs> Ah, silent tears, silent oh. tears. So, yeah. So, how was going through those unhelpful thinking styles? Did you relate to any of them? Um. Well, I mean, like, I related to them and I recognized them. Um. I tried CBT. It didn't work for me. Um. I felt like it was a little bit like, think your way happy. If you think like this, you'll stop being sad. And I was like, that's not my life like yep. i can i can have all the positive thinking in the world and still want to die like yeah um so it didn't work for me that way what really did work for me was uh mindfulness and being like aware of like really hyper aware and really um in tune with like my feelings and what's going on if i go through a difficult situation i'm like this is going to lead to this the same cycle that i've been through a million times now um and and recognizing that and intercepting things and like doing things that are productive to not getting down in the deep dark mm. hole of terribleness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but CBT works for a lot of people. I think people should definitely try it. It was like the well that that like girl from the ring is in. Oh fuck. <laughs> and probably just as terrifying. Like let's be real. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like other people that have been in relationships with me were probably like the woman that's like afraid of the girl coming out of the well in the ring and is like oh god a depressed person run um, uh don't you but hope i mean that's kind of like a morbid like horrible sure. example but um but i was gonna say don't you find it don't you find it super amusing when you start seeing someone and you start talking about mood stuff and they're like oh yeah i can totally handle that like that's fine i can totally <laughs> and then they see you in a depressive episode and they're like what the fuck like they're like they're like back away slowly or sometimes very fast because yes. they just like don't know like it's, cope, it's one yeah. thing to like intellectualize it and talk about it like we're sitting here talking about that it's a whole nother can of worms to like see someone actually see someone you love see someone you care about going through that and and sure. being completely helpless to help that person totally yeah you have to be really comfortable with helplessness and that mm -hmm. can be very hard for people socialized femme who mm -hmm. are in relationships with masked people who are depressed because yeah. they're like you're not killing it right now and <laughs> I have all the socialization I'm supposed to do emotional labor to help you and you mm, don't want me to do sure. any of that yeah and I'm feeling inadequate as a femme mm. for not being able to help you out of this and it's like sure. you don't have that responsibility like you aren't being judged on my emotional state I've lived with this since I was a fucking like baby yeah you yeah know, like this it reflects in yeah. not in the least yeah. but on on that person but yeah. then she may have that experience of feeling really mm. inadequate and mm. insecure in a way that's like what am I like a, a woman that's making more than you? Like, why are you feeling so <laughs> inadequate about this? Oh this is your fragile masculinity. This is like fragile femininity in a sense. Oh, Cause it's sure. like, Absolutely. here's all the socialization of who you sh quote unquote should be as a woman. Oh, I know. But like in a really toxic way, it's like one, please don't feel obligated to do emotional labor. I yeah. don't ask for it. <laughs> like you certainly don't need to do it around depression. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in my, my experience in my um, straight relationships, mm. um, having, 
dudes who are like used to fixing everything. Oh, jeez, yeah. And they can't fix me when I'm like that. And they so desperately want to fix me that sometimes I'm like, okay, you actually just need to fuck off for a while. Like, like I know that you're trying to help, but it's doing the opposite, right? Like, and d- definitely, I mean, like, I'm hashtag single forever. Like, right. it, 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 you're it like, is... just like tie me up, hit me, like beat me around a little, yeah. fuck me, and then just leave and, and let home. me be depressed. <laughs> like, I just want to be, de- I just want to get banged so that I'm marginally less depressed. Just give oh, me man. a glint of happiness today, yeah. and then just go fucking yeah. home. Yeah. Let's talk about how we use sex and kink just to feel something sometimes. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh, oh my. snap. Mm. You done let the secret out. Uh, don't tell anyone. Don't let them know. Well, and that's the thing is people will look at that and be like, oh, that's horribly unhealthy. Right. Um, we do unhealthy shit all the time to feel a little bit better. Like we have totally. six drinks at night or, you know, we go out and fuck a stranger totally. on one night stand. So like feeling a sense of risk or excitement. Sure. And I mean, and I'm just very honest with like my kink partners or my sex partners. Yeah. If I'm, if I am in a, in the sads, I'm like, look, this is because I need to get out of my own brain right now. Cause yep. my brain is a terrible place to be. So let's do that let's do something that will draw me into the present moment so i can you know be forced to be mindful which is what a lot of kink does yeah it is pretty hard to not be mindful when someone is taking you to your pain threshold remember how we talked about i mean obviously you do but i'm talking to the audience sort of (laughs) um how we talked about that idea of like it is hard not to be selfish when you're in a lot of pain yeah that can turn into this really unhealthy like inverted place where you're only looking inwards Mm -hmm. at like all your negative stuff that is torturing you um whereas when someone's physically torturing you you aren't concerned with any of that and you're like this torture is much preferable (laughs) this is the best i don't want to kill myself right now i'm just like fuck that hurts you're (laughs) a douche toe torture what the fuck who does toe rope why are you doing toe rope <laughs> so much toe rope so much sorry toe this rope. was a, in reference to a scene i had on the weekend with uh, <laughs> one of my favorite horrible sadists from seattle that i do not see nearly enough um and they just like they seemed lovely they are wonderful but they like just like wrapped rope between all my toes and then wrapped rope around my toes to squash them together which like oh if you want to like maybe experience with what that's what that's like, that's put like trash. put like a pen or a pencil between your toes and then mush your toes together and see how that feels, and then do that for all of them, and then leave it like that. Yeah, leave it like that with pressure on it, exactly. and then compress your whole leg and fuck around with everything, and then a... beat you with a stick a whole bunch oh. so that you're flailing around and like just jerking around on your toes, and it was terrible and wonderful, and yeah, it was definitely like took me to a. To a place I haven't been to in a very long time. <laughs> Oops, sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Um, a little bit of mic noise is authentic. Just like beating up the microphone with my hand gestures. I'm very much like a hand talker, so. I like that. Honestly, I like <laughs> being a hand talker and I like talking with hand okay, talkers. <laughs> I also like people who talk at the same time as me, um, especially when it's cooperative. So apparently psychologists are like, when two people are talking at the same time, but they laugh at the same time and they're talking on the same topic, it's not considered rude usually by the two people speaking that's very interesting yeah it's it's like collaborative talking over each other versus like most people um in western society think of it as very rude to yeah. talk at the same time as yeah. someone else whereas like we talk over each other all the time but we typically laugh at the same times and i'm like oh yeah so know. yeah yeah no i appreciate it it's i have never i've never been like victor talks over me like the fuck it's never been <laughs> a <Fuck> thing <laughs> yeah So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? 
leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.